Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, The Longhorn Republic on Facebook and Instagram, or you can shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by the man who details Michael Huff's roles, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> uh, you know, the the uh, the presence of his muscles in the shine I put on those hubcaps uh, with his cutoff sleeve uh, looming in the background, I wouldn't dare do a bad job. Beautiful car. It's his. He owns it. It's been confirmed. Uh, come to Texas. Play football. Go to the pros. Make lots of money. Drive nice cars. Come back to Texas. It's a cycle. It's very beautiful. Every recruit should do it. It seems very easy. And we won't... If you have shoulders like Michael Huff, we don't make you wear sleeves. <laughs> you don't have to do it. Sleeves are optional. Really, if anybody has shoulders and arms like that, sleeves are optional. At that just, point in your life, <laughs> sleeves are optional. Whenever I see him in his like sweatshirt without sleeves... It brings up an image of Bill Belichick in his schlumpy body with different cuts done, in, and it just is such a, such a wild juxtaposition of the human physique and the different directions it can go. I mean, I I got nothing. I, I got <laughs> no room to talk. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. I got no we, we 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 both sit here with with rooms to go in our in our exercise plan to get on the Michael Health. Huff status, but we do not wear uh, sweatshirts to accentuate any feature of, of, of our body, uh, except our very, very comfortable home field apparel sweatshirts. That's right, home field apparel. Get the crew neck, get the, get the hoodie, get the t-shirts, get them all. God, do I love a good hoodie. Burn orange, 15% off your first order if you missed it. The Aggies beat us. They're the real t-shirt fans. But that's not what we're here to talk <laughs> about today. Texas um, made a run in the College World Series, but unfortunately was not able to get all the way over the hump. So we'll talk about what happened and kind of look back on the season. There's a lot to cover in the down the 40. A lot of Texas players are um, earning awards and Texas picked up commitments. So there's a lot to talk about. And then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So Texas got another top four finish. This year made it all the way out of the loser's bracket to the double elimination game against Mississippi State against all odds, having to play multiple games on the same day that crossed the date line, but weren't unable to get over that final hump falling to Mississippi State four to three in the final game. But they one got to officially officially determine who was the real UT by beating Tennessee eight to four in their first elimination game. Then go ahead and knock off those Wahoos from Virginia 6-2, an 8-5, 13th hour, midnight hour, midnight oil, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, win over Mississippi State in the first elimination game, and then unfortunately lost on a walk-off 4-3 in the regional final that sent the Mississippi State Bulldogs to their second ever College World Series final, going for their first ever national championship in school history. I'm not petty. Or anything, but Kyle, as we think about, let's let's quickly talk about the the run that Texas made to even get to the double elimination game. Texas capitalized on its biggest advantages, the pitching, and really was able to put a solid product on field every game. So when you think about those those matchups, Kyle, what jumps out to you the most? Look, it, it was crazy. I mean, the the whole run was was 
was wild. I think they had six hours of rain delays in Omaha. I mean, it's nuts. They had, um, you know, hours of rest sometimes between games. Like it was just, it, it was surreal. It, it matched a COVID year when in fact the other team who didn't go to the uh, college world series finals was because of, of a, a COVID diagnosis. I mean, it just matched this crazy, absurd, surreal year of sports that we've gone through. Um, I wish they would have won it because of what a storybook ending it could have been. But, um, you know, they, they lost twice and they lost twice to Will Bedner and Sims, two really good pitchers in Mississippi state two elite pitchers. That's the only team who beat them and they did it twice and good for them. You know, they, they, they did what they needed to do. Um, but man, I love this Texas team as much as just about any ever, or at least since the 2005 national championship team there's been some good and fun teams just really mirrored the 2014 team but they didn't have anything bad off the field there was no negative stories no academic issues no conduct issues no nothing they had they won in all kinds of different ways they showed heart they fought back you know they got a little chirpy when when people got chirpy with them but they really didn't you know they weren't bad boys they were just guys who went out and found ways to win um time and time and time again in different different ways they played small ball they hit home they mashed home runs they had elite pitchers they they had the best probably base runner in college baseball um you know bunted for singles played small ball and advancing people had freshmen true freshmen contributing had guys like zach zubia who in his 17th year on campus you know uh contributed so they just had a little bit of whatever you like about college baseball they they checked the box somewhere in there um just just a fun team that I will remember, and I will remember this run for a long time. I think back to where we were when this team started 0-3, mm. where the message boards wanted to fire Pierce, and people still want to fire Pierce, and we'll get to Yikes. that in just a minute. But um, they started 0-3, and we ignored the fact that they like couldn't get into this, the, the practice arena because of snow, and we ignored the fact that they faced – some of the best pitching they would face all year in those first three games. And it was just, and then they rattled off a record 50 wins and only lost 17 games. They won 75% of their games this year. And, and so when you think about this crew and, and the, the image that sticks with me of, of Omaha is um, Zach Zubia and Trey Faltini being on the field an hour after the game. Just taking it all in. And, and Cole Quintanilla, who you can spell Cole Quintanilla with K's at this point. Um, <laughs> but going back out and lifting up the tarp over the dugout and taking some dirt home with him. Like, the the heart and the passion that these 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 men showed throughout this season um, was incredible. And you, you said that they got chirpy um, when teams got chirpy with them. But I, always, I think of them as like a clapback team, right? They're not mm. going to clap unless you clap first. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of what I loved about this team is that there was adversity and they always found a way to respond. There was struggles and they always found a way to bounce back. And they were, um, you know, whether it was, again, giving up a huge lead to, to Mississippi State and then the Titanic just bursting it open, coming right right ahead of the rainstorm that shut the game down for two hours. Like there was there was just a team that felt special and a team that you could just tell that they're bonded and they love each other and like that, like that the arm in arm, like we are ride or die in this together forever kind of uh team mentality that that carries you. Um and 
it was a special season, regardless of how it ended, regardless of the struggles they had, regardless of facing a pitching staff that's going to end up both of those guys being picked early in the MLB draft. Like, this is a team and with a special season. There's absolutely nothing to hang your head over, right? There's nothing to be ashamed about this year. Like, there is a lot to look forward to as we think about the rest of the guys that are going to be around next year. There's, a, there's an incredible base to build upon moving forward. Yeah, and, and, and again, the, this team was national title good. Baseball is hard. Winning in Omaha is incredibly hard. Getting to Omaha is the way that you win in Omaha. You get there a bunch. Augie didn't win every single year that he got there. He got there a lot. Pierce, get him there, and then let the, the chips fall in your favor because – there are, I mean, look at Arkansas. They thought it was theirs, and they didn't even get there. Um, look at Tennessee, you know, the number three in some polls, number two team. They thought, okay, now it's us. Um, UT, we thought it was. it's never a given. It, it is so hard to win. It's all about rest, rotation, and luck. Um, you know, getting one big hit, giving up one big hit sometimes. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just, this was a team that, that had everything. It had it all to win. It, it it's hurts that it didn't. It's as simple as had they not played Mississippi state and Will Bedner in the first game, they win the first game against any of those other teams. Then they go in the winner's bracket. Texas has never won starting from the loser's bracket since they reshuffled it in 88, the way it goes all, all five times. I think they've made the finals have been when they started in the winner's bracket. I think going in the loser's bracket, they've lost very close to the finals multiple times. Again, thinking back to 2014, they picked the hardest route and they almost did it. They were like an inning away, 90 feet, even away from doing it, from taking the hardest route to get there. And again, uh, really tough thing waiting for you in, in lighter and rocker for Vanderbilt and having to face those arms with extra rest. Um, so it's not going to be an easy task for Mississippi state either. Um, once you got there, but man, they, they tried and man, did they, they, they fight all year long. Um, if you want, we can run through each of the games and talk about Tanner Witt's incredible performance in, in Tennessee and talk about, you know, just Antico coming up time and again. Um, but if, if we look at it from this macro perspective, again, um, a year for the books, uh, a year with a lot to build on for next year. And, and and if you are, let me just pause and say, if you are one of those fans, and Gerald and I have each joked about it a couple times, who is right now listening to the sound of our voices, you, you, you are looking for relatively rational takes on sports. David Pierce is an excellent, a, a, a phenomenal baseball coach who should be the university of texas baseball coach for years to come there's a reason we've had five in over a hundred years you don't fire a guy unless he's just truly not texas standard and there is nothing about what david pierce has done in the beginning to indicate that um and i loved pierce a guy who's won a college world series who's been to omaha six times talking about this specific team and just what they had again i'm not saying they can't get right back there next year but Take a minute to enjoy, even though you didn't win a championship, the ride, this team, some of the players who won't be back next year, and just some of the crazy plays and, and moments that, that that we had, because it really was. It was, sports can be fun, and this was fun. My wife probably didn't enjoy me being up to 1 a.m. multiple times <laughs> watching these games, uh, but for me, it was fun. And and for fans to com- commiserate and to uh, recollect and, and think back on this, uh, try to remember the fun. My wife had a talk with me about how late I'd been staying up. And I just showed her the times that the Texas games ended. It was like one thirty, both nights. But like, 
the the season was special, and I think about guy a guy like Ty Madden who who get his flowers um, at the at the end of the season. You know, his he was named just today, the day of recording on Monday, the D one baseball's All American team, which is his fifth All American. Which you got a guy a guy like Zach Zubia who. Um, you know, like he was just the heart and the soul of this team or a guy. Um, and you think about who wasn't here. They lost Austin Todd and, and Andre Duplante early in the year. And so you're missing two key pieces and they still did this. And so what, like, it's crazy to think about getting those guys back next year. Um, and what could be really special. And, and again, I wanted to see Zubes get his, cause he absolutely is a guy who's been a Texas guy and he should. And really does like, I'm not a big believer on like the, you give him an honorary ring. Right. But like, if there was ever a guy at Texas who deserved an honorary ring, Zach Zuby is one of those guys, but like the Cam Williams finally getting over the hump in the college world series and blasting a, a two run hope like will Bednar confused the ever loving fire out of him in the first game. And he blasted a two run home run against him in, in the, in the final. Like there's just so many little moments that I think about. And I love from this group, Mike Antico, just being lights out on the base path. Um, Silas Arduan being lights out, throwing people out on the base yeah. path. Like yeah. just, just the, the cool things we get to see and the cool things we will continue to see because a lot of these guys will be back next year. Yes, Silas went from being a guy who took over for Petrinsky and took over behind the plate, and ah, he's he's good defensive. Is can he can he hit? To being one of the fans' favorite for for the future to come, just one of the best defensive catchers in in college baseball. I mean, his arm incredible. That that double play that he turned where he picked the ball off the ground. If you've never played catcher, I caught I said on this podcast before for a decade. If you've never played catcher, that mitt is difficult to do very basic things in catching fly balls incredibly hard picking balls off the ground like that almost impossible to pick off the ground a low hop and immediately turn you're, you don't practice that you're not a shortstop to immediately turn into double play stance and fire it to first to get that double play that he got uh in i think the second or third game of, of the college world series that, that was such an unbelievably difficult play the fact that he threw out you know almost a dozen runners who dared run on silas the rifle like just he is going to be fun. He is just a, a, an awesome, awesome uh, catcher and anchor to that team. Faltini, one of the best defensive players. Uh, we actually God, got to see against Virginia probably two of the best, or if not the two best, defensive shortstops in the country. Um, both guys making major league level plays, but Faltini just does it time and time again. If he can, uh, if Tulowitzki can work with him and get his bat um, just to a consistent level, the kid's an All-American and, and, a, and a Major League Baseball player. There's there's no doubt uh, in my mind. Um, I like Texas when they hit home runs. I love small ball, but I love Cam oh. Williams, Ivan Melendez, and Zach Zubia mashing dingers. That's fun. It's awesome. The, the, the shot that Melendez hit pre-two-hour rain delay when he he mashes a ball 917 feet, uh, I believe it was Still the official. Flying, I think. Yeah, yeah. They, I, if it's come down, yeah, they have to check the the official score. That's estimated. Um, and then his little his, his 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 bat flip, uh, and his hop skip and a jump, and and his plate stomp, and just the chest. He did it all. He had more celebrations than Paul Pogba uh, after his goal. It, it was it was 
beautiful. And it was like an iconic UT moment. And that deserved a national championship just to put that on the highlight reel. Um, but still, just what a play. What a hit. What a time in the game when to, 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 to seal that one off. Um, just moments. Fun, fun moments. This team was full of them. And you string enough of them together, 50 wins, winning a Big 12. In the way they did as well, having to rely on, let's not forget, what a crazy finish to the end of the season that was. Sweeping through regionals, super regionals, getting to Omaha on a hot streak, you know, facing adversity and then rallying back in the loser's bracket, staving off elimination, beating a really good Tennessee team, beating a really good Virginia team, beating a, a again, Mississippi state team that that's playing for a national championship, uh, once and, and almost doing it a second time. Just, just great. Just great all around. Kudos to, to all the guys, Mike Antico. I said it to you in a text, Gerald in any sport in college sports, as we get into the transfer era, it could change, but in any sport, has to be one of the handful of top five, top three greatest single season transfers in college sports. If they wouldn't have won a national championship, he would probably be number two only behind, as you pointed out, a certain quarterback. But uh, uh, unbelievable. Antico, what a, what a hero in one year. I Seeing people fall in love with Mike Antico, including my wife, um, it's fine. <laughs> but uh, like, but like, she like, I mean, she she saw his mom there with his pom poms, and it, it was game over from there, right? But like, it's he ascended to like folklore status during the College World Series, like. And I remember we had we were conversations in the in the BON Slack channel, and, and you and I had texts about like the the early shakiness. He was like, is is he going to be good? And then. All of a sudden, it's like you give him a leadoff walk and the guy's on second. You might as well just give him two bases. Let him start at second because, it, it like, those little things. And, again, you talked about the small ball. Like, I was explaining it to to my wife who's, who's getting into more and more into sports and it's so fun. Um, but, like, the concept of small ball and, like, bunting and sacrifice bunts and, like, drag bunts and trying to trying to pull a bunt single and, and making the pitcher make a choice on where he's going to go and so all sorts of, like – Augie is having a blast as he thinks about this, right? <laughs> seeing seeing Texas play small ball and and win a lot on small ball, putting putting base runners on the paths and then bringing them home, like it's so fun to watch. And, and you know we have to look back on this season, and I love to to look at it as we compare to to arguably, maybe not arguably, one of the greatest coaches across sports in Texas history, Augie Garrido. But we look at his first four years. You know, Augie only made it to the World Series one time, made it to the regionals a second time. Augie was 134 and 101, a 57% winning percentage. David Pierce in his first four years has been absolutely incredible. Like, regionals in his first year, um, the College World Series in his second. 2019 was a rough year. There's a lot to replace in that team. It didn't quite all come together. Uh, but then last year didn't technically happen. In 2021, 50 games. 50 wins, Final Four, College World Series. Like, incredible run from David Pierce. And the team, it doesn't look like they're going to slow down anytime soon. Yeah, and, and if last year did happen, that they were on an incredible roll in 2020, and, and he don't, doesn't get technically any, any credit for that, or he would have College World Series in three of the past four years, in my opinion, the way that that team, you know, as long season was playing. Um, there will be some guys who are gone. Ty Madden, he ain't coming back. 
Zach Zubia, he, I mean, I think he has his third doctorate degree, and I think that's all you can, you know, do. He's he's been there for 19 years. I think our, our beloved Zach uh, will be moving on. Yeah, I think Antico uh, is going. Hopefully, he'll get to play in the majors and and, and do his best Ricky Henderson impression because I love that guy. Um, you know, Tristan Stevens. There's a good chance he he could be going. Um, it, it will be curious who else that we're not thinking about who else, but there's a lot, a lot coming back, and that should excite you. You should be excited thinking about next year already because, again, with a great coach like Pierce, look, we had to figure out how to replace an outfielder and then Mike Antico was born. There's still probably guys, Juco transfers, guys in the transfer portal who Pierce is going to bring in and add to the uh, the delicious gumbo that is going to be next season's Texas baseball team. So we don't know exactly what it's going to look like in the future, but I have confidence in, in Pierce. In, any coach in the country could have gone out and tried to get Antico, but Pierce did it. He got a guy who was good at St. John's and turned him into Texas's first 40 steals, 10 home runs guy. I, there's there's probably some talent out there that we don't know about that Pierce has on his radar that, that players who want to come play with, with Troy Tulowitzki, you know, we're looking at. So I, I, I am excited for next year already just with what we have. And then just to think about the players coming in, the, the recruits and the potential, you know, transfers that we're adding in to fill the roster out. It's going to be fun again. There's some some really good, really, really, really good building blocks to build on. So that puts an official wrap on the 2020-2021 academic year. And so Texas, with the baseball team coming in at number well, one of the top four teams, theoretically tied for fourth place, um, gives Texas 13 top 10 finishes for the 2020-2021 academic year, which is just an incredible finish. And we talked about the Governor's Cup a few weeks back, but... Texas had an incredible showing from the athletic teams, and we're so, uh, so proud that we got to be here and observe it. And so we will obviously, over the summer, we're doing some preview work, but it's been a really, really good time watching the Longhorns this season. So now's the part of the show where we catch up everything we didn't already talk about, and we down the 40. So Volleyball's Asia O'Neill was named the 2021 Honda Inspiration Award winner. If you haven't been keeping up with her story, um, she had actually open heart surgery in January of 2020 to repair a leak in her uh, mitro- mitral valve, mitral valve, um, which is a condition she was born with, and it's something that they had to um, fix. And so, after the eight-hour surgery to repair that, she just jumped back into training for volleyball season. Was a pivotal piece of the Longhorns uh, run at a national championship. She finished second in the Big 12 with a 411 hitting percentage to go with 222 kills. So it's great to see her honored for not just her great achievements on the court, but the perseverance she showed off it. And not just that, she was academic all Big 12 first team. Uh, in addition to, you know, the first team all Big 12 first team, you know, all region and honorable mention All-American. I mean, had it by any justification an excellent year. Actually, some people scoffed that she was even honorable mention and should have been higher on those teams. But to think that she did all of that months after uh, open heart surgery, when her battles, similar to think back to Andrew Jones' story, her battles were sitting up in the hospital bed, walking around the hospital room, jogging a lap around her hospital room, um, but got back and not only 
on the court, but just dominated at many points uh, in their run. Again, heartbreakingly coming up short in the national championship game. But, you know, we'll be back next year to try to win another. But that uh, was actually announced tonight at the the Honda uh, Awards ceremony that's going on. We're recording this on Monday. Um, and so just a really cool uh, honor for Asia O'Neill, who is a fan favorite. A, a She was, as a recruit, someone we love just because – she had the O'Neill last name, and she has lived up and exceeded and proved to be uh, one of our faves. So sticking with volleyball, one of our faves, the volleyball Big 12 uh, preseason team was named actually the favorite to win the Big 12. Um, Logan Eggleston was named the unanimous preseason player of the year. Uh, she was joined on the all the preseason team by Brianne Butler, uh, Jenny Gabriel, Skylar Fields, and the aforementioned Asia O'Neill uh, earned preseason all-conference honors. On a similar note, uh, women's tennis coach Howard Joffe was named the ITA Women's Coach of the Year, uh, as well as Taylor Fogelman earning the Assistant Coach of the year on the football side, some comings and goings. Uh, we'll start Jake Smith, a guy who you and I were fans of coming out of high school, um, but things didn't really come together for him. He's entered the transfer portal. Um, he was reported to have done it a couple years ago, but now made it official uh, that he is in the portal looking for a new home. Yeah, we're again. We we have a firm stance. We we never badmouth any kid for for whatever business decision they th- feel is best. If their future is not best served as they see it at the university of texas we hate to see him go but wish him uh all the best um but jake smith was a specific guy who i think you and i both the type of hype that he had in high school really promising freshman year we were just really enthusiastic and excited about what he could look like especially in steve sarkeesian's office uh it did feel like during the Tom Herman era, there was some differences and Smith maybe wanted to be used differently. And there's rumors that may have been flirting with the portal, the portal before maybe that was not all the Sark doing, or maybe he just thought the type of skill set and playmaker that he was, as he learned more about Sarkeesian's offense and what he wanted to do, you would think that the speed that he had would translate uh, well to that. But maybe, I don't know if it was a depth chart issue, if it was a position issue, or, or just, again, thinking that there was options elsewhere uh, where he could succeed. We, we do wish him the best. But again, I, I am choosing to be optimistic and trust in Coach Stark's offense and that he is the offensive genius that we all think he is and that uh, with or without Smith, that offense is going to be humming. Uh, they got you know a couple transfers in with just raw pure speed. So they receiver is not a position right now that they are lacking for for track stars. Yeah, and and sometimes you need a fresh start, right? Like he's had injury troubles. He's gotten in the doghouse a little bit with with old coaches, and so it's just sometimes you need to cut bait and get a fresh start. And and again, you and I, like you said, will never begrudge a kid for doing what's best for him. You get one football career. And that's it. And so do whatever is best for you. So uh, we're obviously sad to see him go. The wide receiver room is, like you said, you've got um, Jordan Whittington, who's probably going to get a lot of playing time in this new offense. You've got um, Xavier Worthy coming in, who's a blazer, who's going to get a lot of play in this. And so the wide receiver room um, is not hurting, but it definitely would have been nice to have him as part of that group. Well, just an interesting thing, and I've been thinking about this before this news came out, was that um, A. Sarkis said the running backs in his offense are going to continue to catch lots of passes, which excites us. They're wheel routes, baby, for touchdowns all day long. Um, But uh, also, he has said multiple times since he got here when he was asked questions about analyzing the rosters, we have 
too crowded of a wide receiver room, too many bodies. Um, you know, his ideal roster management would be made up differently, more surplus at other positions. And then you got guys transferring in and, and, <laughs> and different recruits at that position. So it's like, does that mean that there is going to be an exodus? And, and so um, we'll, we'll see what that ultimately looks like in the final shakeout. Um, but it, it is just interesting to kind of when you're playing the numbers game in addition to the, the talent and skill game. We obviously can't read Coach Stark's mind, um, but you knew something was probably coming from that room. So, um, again, wish him all the best, but I, I am choosing to trust that he's building the receiver room that he thinks will be you know winning Big 12 championships and competing for national titles. We trust Sark. Until proven otherwise, we're going to trust the coach. Now, um, Texas fans were in a little bit of a tizzy a couple weeks ago because there was a running back that they thought was going to commit to Texas and then didn't, ended up at the University of Texas, Los Angeles, or USC, as some people call it. <laughs> but Stan Drayton refuses to be slandered and landed four-star running back at a Tyler Legacy. Jamarian Miller uh, made his choice known Monday evening, and he picked... Texas. He visited Texas actually uh, in the final weekend of official visits. Uh, made his first two visits to Florida and Texas A and M. So those clearly were the finalists. But he comes to Texas, 5'10", 185, running a ten one hundred. Nobody that that weighs basic almost two hundred pounds, a couple burgers away from two hundred pounds, should be running a ten seven. No way. Tyler Owens has something to say about that, but there aren't a whole lot of them. We can name the guys who are big. Big and lightning fast. I, I think um, we just talked about it. Steve Sarkeesian's offense thrives with getting the ball in running backs' hands in different ways and catching passes out of the backfield is a is a big one. And it seems like this is a skill set where he could he could come in and uh, and and offer something there. You know, Jaden Blue and he may have complementary skill sets in what they what they offer. Um, uh, I don't think there's anything Jaden Blue can't do, just for the record. But I think uh, I think Miller will, will instantly kind of just be a boost to round out um, to round out that class. And again, speed. You're seeing a theme in the guys Sark is getting on campus at whatever skill position it is. He wants them fast. He wants speed. If they're the transfer from Alabama, the other Robinson, speed. So you're starting to see. And obviously, we're at year zero. We have not played a game yet, but. The very, very uh, kind of base bedrock of what a Sarkeesian team that he builds himself looks like. And it looks like speed is a key component. All gas, no brakes. So um, on the hardwood, Texas has been scheduled to welcome back a familiar face, the basketball arena, one Richard Barnes. We're a little bit late on it. They talked. They announced it last week, but we missed it just because it was a weird week. Uh, but Tennessee is going to face off against Texas and the SEC Big 12 showdown, uh, flying in the face of, and we'll just go ahead and say it, Chris Beard's penchant for cupcakes in the, in the non-conference schedule. But you know yeah. what? Good to see Rick Barnes heading to town. Yeah, and in, in Texas, basketball has not taken that approach. They have played very tough schedules um, and, and the shock era. So so I think Beard will, will learn quickly that, that that's how it goes. But I, I think uh, Barnes has built something really good in Tennessee, right? And, and Gerald, I don't think you and I have ever been shy about saying we thought Rick Barnes was a good basketball coach. We, we did not you know, see him leave Austin with hatred in our hearts. Um, there was something that just wasn't quite getting over the hump. And some people will tell you that he shouldn't have gone. And some people will tell you he should have gone two years earlier. Um, but 
uh, Rick Barnes is a guy who we both love and respect, and I appreciated the Texas social media is treating this as a reunion, a welcome back to the family to Rick Barnes, which, again, the amount that he did for the Texas basketball program, the status that he elevated them to, the expectations that fans have of that program are pretty much because of one Rick Barnes coming in and, and doing what he did. So he should be a, a a hero welcomed home again, no matter how it ended or, or the exit was. If he chooses to embrace that, and there's been pictures of him and Beard spotted together, it seems like there is not a ton of animus uh, amongst them. So, uh, you know, I I, um, I guess there's a shock of buffer in there. But I uh, I, I like it, and I hope we, we cheer for him because Rick Barnes, again, did as much for the Texas basketball program as anyone um, – probably including Kevin Durant. You know, he, he, he <laughs> did a ton. So uh, no hate for, for Coach Barnes. You mentioned it. Like, Rick Barnes was a victim of his own success. Like, he, he got Texas basketball too big for its own britches. And that's why they left. He couldn't live up to the standard that he set, which is kind of a dumb thing that, that happened to him. But it is what it is. Uh, Tara Davis is one of four semifinalists for the Honda Sports Female Track Athlete of the Year, which is actually being announced while we record it. But we haven't, they haven't announced that winner yet. And so... Um, if we'll tell you next week if she wins or not, <laughs> but uh, well, uh, just more hardware for someone who's having an absolutely ridiculous year for the Longhorns. And I just reiterate, one of our favorite Longhorns. She was she was a year too early for the the name and likeness uh, debacle that's going to happen uh, soon. But uh, because she is a bona fide superstar and she's going to be a fun Olympian, as we mentioned, uh, or, or Olympian. Uh, qualifier she competes for team usa so uh she is she is worthy whether she wins or is a finalist she is worthy of uh of all kinds of hardware and awards because ut track was great this year and she was a big part of it massive massive part so the not exodus the what, what's the opposite of an exodus i'm not sure but In, incidus no that's inc- not it that sounds terrible. But anyway, <laughs> bunch of folks coming to Austin. So another thing that we need to mop up from a week ago, Trey Mitchell, who is a transfer from UMass, another big man, joins the Texas Longhorns and Chris Beards just absolutely like, we're not going to rebuild. We're not even reloading. We're just putting together a top five team based upon the guys that are still here and all of the players in the transfer portal. Uh, it, it's Gerald. It's like, it's like a, like a video game from the early 2000s before they really realized how to port like free agency into there. I remember like one of the NFL teams where Barry Sanders retired, but was still in the game and you could sign him as a free agent, like NFL 2k, whatever that was six or something. Um, and you could just sign every good player. And all of a sudden you had like the Cleveland Browns playing for a super bowl with 11, you know, 90 rated players that you signed as free agents. Somehow Chris Beard found a way to actually do that in real life, in college basketball, just signing all of the best free agents. I'm using that term a bit in jest, but uh, transfer portal um, potentials, just, just scooping them up. Uh, Trey Mitchell, (laughs) he's the last of the bunch, but if this was in a different order, you could argue he's the, as good as anyone in the top, I don't want to say the best of the bunch, but a top two, three of the guys that they got. I, I don't know who's going to start. He's a center. Um, he's played 44 career games. He averages 18 points a game uh, and, and seven and a half rebounds, uh, can block shots as well. Um, I mean, he, he's the A-10 is one of the better mid-major conferences. It's not like UMass plays no one. Um, he didn't play a ton. 
this year just because UMass didn't play many games and still made the the all A10 team because any minute that he was on the court, he just dominated. I mean, the guy can't not put up 15 points a game since he's joined the college ranks. I mean, he's just he's a very good player, one of the best post players in the country. I think his synergy sports like post up rating was like number three three five something like that in the country in points per possession in the post like you could just he is that big man who completes what they're trying to do they have some stretch bigs and some bigs who can shoot and some you know we'll be curious how we run the offense but you know when trey mitchell is there you have an anchor on the block you have a lamarcus aldridge type of of quality where you can give a guy a post uh a ball in the post and just let that be your offensive possession uh or he can kick it out if they crash on him and texas is loading up with shooters so i like this a lot i think it is a nice piece for the jigsaw puzzle. How you make them work will be how Chris Beard earns his millions, but keep getting the talent. I love it. Versatile big men, never too many of them. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions of all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, I want to talk about basketball want to keep it going i want to talk about the professional ranks and a player who took my breath away and um deserved there has been talk about kevin duran and his psyche and living in the lebron james era as the second best player and and what that does to someone who always just has a yearning to be the top dog and and how many mvps he has in any other era and where he ranks on the all-time pantheon uh spoiler alert top 15 at least um just He's so good. And even though he's not playing in the finals this year, and I feel like that's what he needed to to silence the full cadre of doubters, his performance in the playoffs was one of the most unreal, majestic, unimpeachable performances I have seen in NBA playoff history. Um, They built it as a super team with Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Those guys were hurt. This turned into Kevin Durant and some old dudes. Like LaMarcus Aldridge, another Longhorner we love, had to medically retire. He was another old dude they were stacking on that bench. Like the guy who played the the second most minutes in game seven was Blake Griffin. He was out the of the league. Of Blake Griffin. Yeah, he was out of the league. He has no Achilles left. He's just, he isn't that Blake Griffin you remember a few years ago. He was a guy who was playing NBA 2K like the rest of us and got a call up to uh, get the band back together. Like, And he tried to take on in prime. Giannis and just a really, really good Bucks team that can do all kinds of dangerous things. And Durant took all five of them on and basically had his toes, his size 97 shoe that he wears, which again, the amount of athletic and physical things that he does with how big his feet are, just look sometime. It's it doesn't make sense. There's like a crocodile at the bottom of his leg. So he has to actually take th- threes from about 38 feet back. But he, he had a move on, again, another Longhorn, uh, and if, if P.J. Tucker deed him up, and he did a turnaround from the three-point line that, again, one of his toes creeped over the line, ended up being a two-pointer, sent it to overtime, and they lost in Game 7. But had it not, his toes not fallen over the line, it would have been a three-pointer, and he would have had a game winner to send them to the Eastern Conference Finals. It would have been just absolutely crazy. He had 48 in that game, played every every minute basically in the last two games, third 40-point game of that playoffs. Just uh, he, he set a franchise record for a playoffs run for a Nets team that's been to the finals 
in 12 games for, for points scored, not points per game, for points scored. His eight 30-point games were a franchise record. Five double-doubles uh, in, in one series, including a 49-17-10 and 10 is is a first time in NBA history a, a player has put up five double doubles in a playoff series. He averaged almost thirty five points per game, shooting fifty percent from the field, forty percent from three. He averaged almost ten rebounds. Again, when you're shooting that much, he's also crashing in over four assists and 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 a block and a half and steal and a half a game. He I, Steve Nash said it after. I, I don't know what more he could have done. He's the best player in the world and. Giannis said he's the best player in the world. He he just he did every single thing you can do and any doubts that you had about Kevin Durant and being only winning when he was on super teams and not being able to do it in Oklahoma City and not being able to do it now in Brooklyn like that just doesn't that doesn't jive with me. Uh it was truly amazing and that word gets used and awesome, those words get used and they've lost their luster to, to mean something that truly inspires awe in you. They, they they truly amaze you in a way that you can't believe what you're seeing. The, the actual root definitions of those words, he lived them out. He was unbelievable in the sense that I could not believe what I was watching. It was, it was poetry. It was basketball at its purest. And even though he's not lifting an, an NBA trophy, he did as much for me in this playoffs that he went out in the second round as I've seen any player do for their legacy ever. If Kevin Durant was wearing his everyday shoes and not his basketball shoes, that would have been a three-pointer because <laughs> he wears shoes that are bigger to play in than he does every day of his life. And can I just say, Gerald, I actually had a whole nother second half of this that I was going to go on about his Olympic because he committed to that. I'm not going to do it for time's sake. But just know, Kevin Durant is the all-time leader in points per game in the Olympics, and he's 20 points away from becoming the all-time scorer ever, even though Carmelo's played in four in the Olympics. He's absolutely going to do that. He's going to be the captain of this year's Olympic team. I think only LeBron and David Robinson, in addition to Melo playing four, have ever played in three. So he is truly not only doing it in the NBA ranks, he's about to be maybe the greatest international basketball player of all time as well, averaging 20 points per game. Uh, just, Just... there is nothing that Durant can't do in the basketball arena, and we need to start treating him as such and respecting him as such. Maybe 15 was too low of a number where he belongs in the all-time greatest basketball players. Maybe it's time that he cracks the top 10. We'll see. Still story to be written in his career. I bet he's got three, four, maybe more years to go. I did not plan for that to let Kyle do another 90 seconds of his bang the drum, but it happened. <laughs> it happened, and you're going to have to deal with it. I'm banging the drum this week on my favorite drum to beat or organization to rail on, but um, the NCAA continues to prove that it is absolutely the most worthless organization in the entirety of the world. So the if you're not aware, the uh, name, image, and likeness rights conversation has continued to heat up among NCAA athletes and college athletes. And so states have been passing their own legislation about how and what players, athletes should be able to do. And it was going to create a bit of a mess because the NCAA is still in charge, unfortunately, even though, again, they're really don't do a whole lot but um so the ncaa was kind of pressed to make a decision about what 
Uh, the name, image, and likeness rights rules should be could kind of create a standard playing field and not allow a, uh, a school in a specific state, whatever it might be, to have an unfair competitive advantage because they can play the rules differently than another school in another state with different NIL rules. And so the NCAA, in its infinite wisdom and usefulness, went into a room and came out with their recommendations for how schools should handle name, image, and likeness rights. So try to create a standard across the uh, playing field. And here's what they said. Follow your state's laws. If your state doesn't have laws, then pick whatever you want to do and do that. How are we still shackled to this useless institution? They literally just said, do whatever you want. Like the NCAA continues to prove how absolutely useless they are. Like how on God's green earth are you that like the NCAA is so bad that they made the most divided Supreme Court in United States history <laughs> make a unanimous decision that they suck. Like that's how bad the NCAA is. That's how bad they are. So how do they go into a room and make the the biggest no decision decision that has ever existed in human history? Like I cannot they, I'm going to have to like Kyle, you're going to have to keep me from talking about the NCAA because I'm running out of ways to say these guys are awful and provide no value to anybody. Like, you and I could come up with a better set of rules than this, and I completely feel that I'm not. that's not hyperbole in any way, shape, or form. Gerald, when I was a kid, I'm not going to say I played the fairest. Um, I have never enjoyed losing. I've always said I hate losing more than I enjoy winning. Um, I, I used to say whenever the game wasn't going my way when I was a kid. Uh, apparently, people told me the story. I would change the rules and say, oh, that's my dad's rules. Um, and, and that's how I would choose the game to be played. I would just change it. How, oh, that's my dad's rules. Um, and, and, and I somehow feel like that might be better than whatever the NCAA <laughs> is, is rolling out. It's like in, in, in Big Daddy when the kid plays a card game called I Win, and there are no rules to the game except uh, when Rob Schneider asks, hey, what are the rules? He says, I win. And, and, and that, that's it. That's that's the kind of level. My dad's rules and I win are basically what the NCAA is rolling out. Um, Travis Sham mockery is, is thrown around too often, but uh, probably an applicable uh, uh, use here. Um, I, I will keep you from getting too spicy, Gerald, but uh, you're 1,000% you're correct. Absolutely awful. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carp, and you can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Congrats to all the Olympians. <laughs>